0: You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We're doing, doing things all slightly different today. Uh, it's our International Sunday. If I uh, just want to ask you a question, we're going to be starting a new series called Heroes. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, people for five weeks. I'm looking at Peter today. But I'm going to do it, as I say, in a slightly different way because it's our International Sunday. Let me start by asking you the question, what do you think is the longest journey in the world? What's the longest journey that you've ever been on? Is it being stuck on traffic on the M25? Is it commuting to work while there's a tube strike? Is it taking the kids on holiday? Nikki and I flew to Australia with three kids under the age of five, and it took 24 hours. Is that the longest journey that you've ever, ever been on? I'm going to suggest that the longest journey in the world is climbing the stairs. Climbing the stairs. Now, for some of you, you might think, why is this? What has this got to do with the whole International Sunday? Well, it's not actually a kid climbing the stairs. I want to tell you a story about somebody that climbed the stairs and the journey that they went on. And the culture that I'm telling this in, it would have actually been a place where they had flat roofs. And the flat roofs, they had steps going up the outside. And so what you wanted to do is, if you wanted to get away and have a bit of peace and quiet, you would climb up the steps and sit on the flat roof. This uh, particular house that I'm telling you, it's a true story, was in a place called Joppa. Now, some of you may have heard of Joppa before, some of you may not. Uh, I can tell you that 800 years ago, Joppa was known as the place where a guy called Jonah, Jonah was sent from. It's like, you are to take the message to the nations. But well, that's the house that we're going to be thinking about today. It was there in Joppa. There was a guy who went to climb up on the house, uh, on the roof, and his name was Peter. Now, the reason that Peter did this was not to bunk out of the work, although it was noon, it was middle of the day. People were preparing lunch. Peter decided that he wanted to go up onto the roof to pray. Prayer is basically a two-way communication with God. So what he'd done is he just thought, look, while other people are just getting some food sorted, I'm just going to get up here, I'm going to have some quiet, I'm going to get out of the the busyness of the house, I'm going to spend some time talking to God and listening to God. I tell you, if you take time out, God wants to speak to you. I mean, that's the beauty of this, isn't it? I don't know, it could be really busy where you are. Can you find some space where you could just climb out and spend some time with God? Well, whilst Peter is up there, um, God speaks to him. In fact, there's a, a picture, and the picture is almost like this huge great sail that gets brought down from heaven. It's trying to say, actually, this is from God to people. And so this picture happens, and Peter is is absolutely stunned because Peter was raised as a good Jew. And as a good Jew, you know there were some foods that you could eat and some that you couldn't. And this was an historical thing. There's a book in the Old Testament called Leviticus, and if you looked in Leviticus 11, you would discover that God said, actually, these would be considered clean animals, and these are unclean. And so some of the ones that you weren't supposed to eat, and and most of us would know that, is, is pork. So if you're a traditional Jew, you couldn't eat pork. But actually, camel was another one. In fact, if you look in there, I think great lizards, you'll find in Leviticus 11 is another one. I don't know what you fancy eating, but there'd be loads there that actually he was told you must not eat. The locust, the grasshopper, the great owl, the little owl, this whole list. Anyway, Peter has grown up knowing all this. He's an adult. And this sheet comes down, and God says, get up, kill, and eat. Now, God doesn't seem to make a distinction between you can eat what's clean and unclean. He says, just get up and eat. Peter says to God, surely not. I find that fascinating, don't you? I mean, here he is, he's praying, he's asking God to speak to him. God speaks to him. God says, I want you to do something, and he says, surely not. You see, Peter was the classic that he didn't like change. I don't know how you think of him as a disciple, but he didn't really like change. We know that because in one of the Gospels, it's in, in Matthew 16, he actually takes Jesus to one side. Jesus says, I'm going to have to die. And he says, no, no, you can't do that. He rebukes him. He actually says, surely not. It's almost like, well, I like just hanging around you. I like being a disciple. Peter struggled with change. We know another time, don't we, that that Jesus comes along to him and says, actually, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. What does Peter say? Surely not. Jesus says, if I can't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. Okay, not just my feet, the whole thing. Peter, just, just go with what Jesus says. I wonder what you're like when God says something to you. Do you resist change? He says, surely not. You see, climbing the stairs could make a massive journey. He went up there to pray and he heard from God. Fascinating, isn't it? Mark was telling us the story even earlier about people, it's literally in their dreams, hearing from God. The thing about this story that I'm telling you now is that God didn't just speak once, but in his grace, he spoke a second time. In fact, he spoke a third time. Three times God said to him, come on, get up. I mean, this was massive. You see, I was thinking about this and just trying to tell the story, thinking it through. When else had Peter ever heard God speak? Well, we know that it's recorded in the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's word. There was two other occasions when he heard a voice from God. One was when Jesus got baptised. When he came up out of the water, it says that this is my son, whom I love. He'd heard God speak. That was a very significant time, wasn't it? There was one other time that that Peter had heard the voice of God. That's when he'd gone with Jesus, up onto the mountain to meet with God. And there was this picture there, wasn't there, of Elijah and Moses and Jesus. It's called the Transfiguration, if you've read your Bible. And suddenly it's almost like this is blinding light. And and again, he hears this voice. God speaks. And then suddenly here is, this must be something significant. God speaks to him. It's almost like he, he, I mean, his head must have been spinning, if you think about this story. What what are you trying to say? I've heard your voice. I've seen this sheet come down three times. You asked me to kill something that I shouldn't kill. You asked me to surely eat something I shouldn't eat. What is all this about? And I love it because suddenly, literally, there's a knock on the door. It doesn't quite say a knock on the door. We will go to the Bible in a moment because many of us are thinking, Pete, this is church. Why haven't you read the Bible yet? Because actually a lot of places we tell the story. That's what I want us to do. What happens is three people have traveled to him from a place called Caesarea. Caesarea is about 30 miles away. It's up the coast. They've done more than a marathon to get there. It would have taken them a journey of over two, two days. And so basically they turn up, it's about noon, we know that, the story tells us that. there's not a knock on the door, there's a shout from the gate. I wonder why they shouted. I know they wouldn't have had doorbells, so that wouldn't have made sense, you know what I'm saying, you wouldn't have pressed the doorbell. You see, the reason these people stood at the gate and shouted is because what the Bible would say, they were not Jewish. If you're not Jewish, you're considered a Gentile. And so they might have thought, I wonder if we'd be welcome at this house. Maybe we should just shout out and say, is anyone there? We've been told to come and look for this guy Peter. Is he here? They wouldn't have just presumed to go pushing in through the gate. They'd have waited to be invited. Peter's still trying to understand this whole trance, God speaking, what's happening. And then suddenly, there's this knock at the door. I wonder what he would have thought. A classic Jew would pray pray every day, thank you God, you've not made me a woman and you've not made me a Gentile. And here's some Gentiles at the gate. I wonder what Peter would have thought. I wonder how we can really understand this story. What I do know is that God has been working in Peter's heart up till now. And you can say, well, how do you know that, Pete? How do you make that up out of the story? Well, we know where the house was. We know it was in Joppa, and we know who owned the house. It was a guy called Simon. And we know what Simon did for a job. He was a tanner. That meant he dealt with dead animals. So therefore, if you touch something dead, you became unclean. And so he was staying in somebody's house that was considered unclean. In fact, if you were a tanner, you were not allowed to have your house in the city because other people might get infected by you. We know that his house was by the sea. We know that Peter was literally looking by the sea when he was at this house. You see, there'd been a movement in his heart already to stay at a tanner's house. We know that Peter would have already heard Jesus teach that all foods are clean. And if you want to look up your Bible, you can look that up. It's in Mark 7, verse 18 and 19. What I love here is that he's got all this swimming around in his head. And then what happens is he gets a nudge from the Holy Spirit. And literally, the Holy Spirit says to him, go downstairs and welcome these three people in. I mean, somebody's like, this is amazing, isn't it? He's heard the voice of God, and now the Holy Spirit's saying, go on, go downstairs, welcome these people in. Imagine this. A Jew welcoming a Gentile into their home. Now, there were several reasons they didn't tend to eat together. One is that you, would, you wouldn't tend to eat what a Gentile prepared because you didn't know how it had been killed, and it had to be kosher. And if it wasn't kosher, you think, well, I shouldn't really be eating it. You didn't know if this food had been offered to an idol. And if it had been offered to an idol, it was considered unclean. And so you thought, I wouldn't eat it. So I guess what Peter had done is he said, well, actually, if you come into this house, I know what food I'm giving you. So it wasn't the food that was the big deal. It was the eating together. You see, the thing is, if we understand this story and when it really occurred... People only ate together that were family. We don't think that now because we might go to a restaurant and there could be anybody on the table next to you, couldn't there? Yeah, I mean, I love it. Don't you if you go down to Southall and you get a great curry? I mean, you sometimes feel, i got to gift those, I love it. They just pile you along the benches. You think, I could be sat next to anyone, but I'm still just enjoying it, but I'm going for the food. In those days, it wasn't just about that. It was about the people. If you ate with someone, you identified that they were family. And so, what he'd done is by saying, Come in and eat, he was suddenly stretching out a hand of friendship and almost saying, Your family, I want you to come in. This would have just been absolutely mind blowing. And then he goes beyond that because what he does, and this is, you've got to remember, in, in an age, it was about 2,000 years ago. I, I was going to try and work out whether it was about AD 39, but I don't want to get caught up in the history. They didn't have smartphones to record it on. And so what he did is he thought, I know what, I'll take six friends with me because I've been asked to go and speak in Caesarea. And if I go on my own, it could be misunderstood. So literally, that day, what Peter does is he gathers six friends, and he says, right, come on, the six of us. We've got these, two, these three that have come down. There's going to be a group of ten. We're now going to do the 30 miles back to Caesarea. And so that's what they do. Literally, they leave Joppa the next day. They get back there, and he approaches somebody's house called Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion. He was working for the Romans. Before Peter gets into Cornelius' house, Cornelius comes out and throws himself on the ground in front of him. That was a a sign of respect. I know we don't very often do that. Maybe we notice in some cultures people bow or people can be humble or people wait to be asked. I guess in this culture it was a sign of respect. You threw yourself upon the ground. Now what I find fascinating is you could tell that God is working on Peter's heart because what does he say to Cornelius? Kiss my feet? No. He says, get up. I am only a man like you. He, he, he'd been born in this whole tradition that, no, no, you're a Jew, and this was a Gentile. But suddenly God has spoken to him, and he thinks, no, no, get up. I am a man like you. And he didn't just say it. He did it. Because then what we find out in the story is he hadn't just invited the friends in to eat with his house. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll come in and eat with you. I mean, this would have been mind-blowing because he would have known what food he gave the friends. He had no idea what food he was being given. But he would have gone in there and he ate the food. I mean, this is just an amazing story. I would say, why have I picked him as the first hero that I want us to think about? Because I think things radically change. What happens is, Cornelius has gathered loads of friends and relatives around. He says, look, I've got this really important guy coming. I'm not quite sure when he's going to get here. They reckon that it took four days. I don't quite understand. I did read lots of commentaries on this. One commentary reckoned it started on a Monday and finished on Thursday. We don't know that kind of thing. All we know is that within a four-day period, he'd sent for Peter. Peter had come. He'd gathered a crowd. And what did Peter talk about? He said, I want to explain to you who Jesus Christ is. I want to explain the way to really connect with God is through Jesus Christ. Hey, traditionally, Peter could have said, I've been a Jew and I've been about doing lots of the right things, whether it be circumcising the boys or whether it be about the things that you should or you shouldn't eat. I've done that for a long time. Actually, what I want to talk about is not what I do. I want to talk about Jesus Christ. And so what Peter does is he then explains the life the miracles, the teaching of Jesus. He then explains that Jesus died on a cross for what they had done wrong, that he rose again, and that if you believe in Jesus, you can be forgiven. Now, I I don't know about you, Peter probably was struggling even contemplating what he was thinking because while he was doing this, the story goes that the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. Peter was just explaining about Jesus. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit fell, and they speak in tongues. It's almost like a a heavenly language given by God. And Peter sort of stands back and goes, This is incredible. God accepts them as they are. So, what does Peter command them to do? Get baptized. He says, Hey, look, God, God loves you, you're forgiven. Get back. That's a, that could be a challenge for some of us. Have we accepted Jesus Christ? And if so, have we then obeyed and got baptized? Because this story, Peter says, Look, don't wait, get baptized. So why do I say climbing up the stairs was such a big journey? Well, I want to just literally, and I know I've only got five minutes, draw out and see this was part of a bigger story. You see, this is part, it's in the Bible, it's in the book of Acts. If you want to look it up, it's Acts 10. I was going to read it to you, but I haven't got time now, so you can just flick through that one. Acts 10, that's the whole story. Basically, eight years previous to this story had been Pentecost. Pentecost was when, uh, after Jesus had been on the earth 40 days after he'd risen from the dead, he said to the disciples, Go nowhere. Wait here. When you get my power, the Holy Spirit upon you, then the gospel will go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But wait. And so what happened is the disciples had waited the Holy Spirit came. Some of us know that as described as Pentecost. 3,000 people were added in a day. They have a devoted community who share their belongings. They give themselves to prayer. They see many miracles. The crippled beggar is healed as they go to the temple. They get persecuted. The work goes ballistic. They assign seven people to take on daily distribution of food to the poor. They get the first martyr. In the midst of all this, Jesus Christ slapped somebody around the face. That's how I understand it. His name was Saul. He was going to Damascus. It says God knocked him to the ground. He gets back up. This is a massive thing. But then what happens? We get to Acts 10. And everything changes. Because before this, really the message had only been for those that were Jews. Jews. But now, suddenly, the whole thing, this is such a pivotal turning point that Peter gets called to the church in Jerusalem to explain his actions. What have you done? And we suddenly see that this was not just climbing one set of stairs. This was understanding something in the whole of the New Testament as a radical, radical turning point. You see, what had happened is they they no longer just thought, oh, well, the odd non-Jew will find out about this. They thought, we are to take this message to the ends of the earth. And so I would say that Acts 10, this is the longest narrated story in Acts, the book of Acts, Acts 10, and talking about this, the longest story, it says something of significance, the story that I've tried to recount to you today. Because suddenly it's like the gospel is now to go to the ends of the. That's what Jesus said. And now they understand it. It's almost like this is where we are to go. And you can say, wow, big story. Now what I want to say to you is it's an even bigger story because if we only think about Acts, we've missed the rest of the book. I would say that the Bible is one big story, and actually God's heart for the nations has been the whole way through it. Now some of you think, at last we're going to get to some Bible. I don't know if I'll have time to refer to them all, but I just wanted to say there'd be some Bible verses come up, because actually the biggest story is this, God has always had a heart to reach all the nations. And we can suddenly think, oh, International Sunday, is that just because we're being... PC or multicultural or tolerant. No, we're trying to understand something of God's big story. How does it start? Well, we know right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. And in fact, it goes horribly wrong, and I haven't got time to go through it in detail now, but then suddenly you get Noah turn up, don't you, because the earth is judged. And what happens when Noah comes out of the earth, earth Ark? God says, fill the earth. There's always been this mandate, I want the nations. I'm interested in the whole earth. I'm not interested in something small and parochial. Things then go horribly wrong. People turn their back on God. They do their own thing. In fact, we get to Genesis 11. That's the first book of the Bible. They come against God. What do they do? They decide to build a city, Babel. They decide to gather people together. God judges them. It's a result of pride and rebellion. Imperialism always moves towards ethnic and linguistic conformity. That is what happened at Babel. It's almost like we're going to bring everyone together. They've all got to be the same. And God says, no, it's not meant to be like that. What did he do? He confused them and sends them out to the ends of the earth because that was the big picture. God scattered them over the face of the earth. And then what happens is we know that throughout the Bible, this one man, God promises blessings to the nations of the world through one man, a man called Abraham. It says in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We know that Abraham's rescued and interceded for nations. Oh, it's always been God's picture. It's always been God's heart for the nations. We know that even the people of the Old Testament called the Israelite, the Jewish nation, they were called so that they would draw the other nations. In fact, if you look in Exodus, and this will come up, it says, if you obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And the whole earth is mine. You will be a kingdom of priests. The whole purpose of a priest is to bring other people to God. So what God said is, I'm taking this nation. Why? Because I want to bring all nations in. And I want you guys to get the picture. We're to take all nations to him. It's a priest of nations, a nations of priests. We know this happens. We know that when Solomon was king, what happened? Sheba, the nations, come charging. Say, wow, your God is incredible. Even the uniforms look so smart. You see, God's big picture had always been about the nations. When things went wrong, The nations judged. They were drawn to the nations. That was the exile. Then when things were going wrong, the the prophecies came. Judgment and salvation to the nations. And then you get the New Testament. I told you it's going to be quick. I know I'm going to land in two minutes. Jesus turns up and says this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said this. I'm the hope for the nations. I mean, that's the incredible story that we're a part of. And then when he, gets, he says to his disciples, in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. You see, this is part of what we're caught up in. So this walk up the stairs for Peter was his eyes being opened to God says, you're to go to the nations. I know you shouldn't do this when you you get a book. I don't know if you're ever tempted when I go on holiday. Sometimes you think, I'm going to read the last chapter just to see how the book finishes. Well, the last chapter, the last book of the Bible is Revelation. We know how it finishes because Revelation 7 tells us this. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to God. You see, climbing up the stairs for Peter, he went to, I understand that actually I mustn't call some clean and some unclean. I mustn't refer to some people as those that, you know, and those that are not. Now, actually, the gospel is for all, and that is what we're caught up in. I'll be very careful, because you can say things quickly, and it can get misunderstood. As a church, we're not looking for tolerance. As a nation, we could try and make laws about tolerance. It's almost like, how how do we tolerate difference? How do we just get along beside each other? There's 172 nationalities that live in this borough. Do we just tolerate one another? In the church, the nations can come together. It's not about tolerance. It's about love. Hey, I know that different people eat different food. I know people listen to different kinds of music. You know what I'm saying? I went to take that last night at the O2, yeah? Some of you think great, some of you think you poor thing. doesn't matter. We're all called together. And so to me, the beauty of a Sunday like this is not just, oh, once a year, we just get out different clothes to normal. The beauty of this is we say, this is a visible demonstration of who God's called us to be. And it's not that we just tolerate these different people live here. Actually, we're called, the gospel is to go to all nations. Partly, I love us to be a church where all nations are represented. I would honestly love, I won't be happy until there's at least 173 people in this church. One from every single nation in the borough. I think, why wouldn't we believe for that? And then I think, I wouldn't be happy that we just had 173 here. Because actually, if you think biblically, nations is not just the countries that we define today. Many say it's to do with culture and a language, and there's probably about 11,000 nations around the world now, and about 1,600 have never heard the gospel. So as a church, we couldn't settle back without getting compelled to go. This is why I think, isn't it great having I mean, Mark and Ruth here? I mean, they're just heroes, aren't they? You think, oh, yeah, I'll go to a nation like that. I will go and serve God there. You Just think, wow. I long for us as a church to have such a heart for nations that actually we're celebrating others. Now, I think, you know, I know them from the crown. That was a church I lived before this one. But actually, I think, wouldn't it be great on another international Sunday? We say, oh, look, here's so-and-so. They used to be here, but they're now there. Praise God for what they... Oh, look, here's someone else. Oh, actually, we've got a video clip. Here's somebody else. Why? Because actually we've climbed the stairs and we've gone on this journey and understood that actually God calls us to be the nations together and reach nations for him. I think it's a huge privilege. My time is up. I would like you to turn around to at least three other people and say, I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you just do that now? I'm so glad you're here. The band are going to come back to here. I'm so glad you're here. I know that this morning has been a slightly strange Sunday, so we're going to carry that on. The band will come back up. Uh, we break bread together each Sunday. We're going to be doing it this week. This is because we point to Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, Peter in this story pointed to Jesus Christ. We want to point you to Jesus Christ too. If you are here and you do not know Jesus, we would encourage you to pick up one of these white Jesus. That is the most important thing you could do today. We want to point you to Jesus. We are united because of him. So we're going to break bread and we're going to do it slightly differently today. We've all got used to getting out of our chairs. So while the band are doing this song, I would like us to have a line from here. Joshua, I know you well enough. You go and stand next to there. We're going to stand next to Joshua and literally line the hallway around the back of the church, which should go right round to about here. And we're going to break bread together. So I would like everybody... Whilst we're just doing this next song, just to go and form a line and stand around. If you're visiting us, you're very welcome. We'd love you. Just join in. Muck in with us for today. We'd love it. That would be brilliant.